It's always soccer in Philadelphia, and we actually have soccer to talk about on this episode of the podcast, Philadelphia Union Soccer. Uh, preseason action. Your town, your team, your Philadelphia Union, five, Montreal, zero. At least I think that was the final score. I stopped watching in the 85th minute because the Union were just blowing out, of, blowing them out of the water, and I couldn't take anymore. Joining us on the phone tonight, we have a very special guest. Mr. Adam Kahn from the Philly Soccer Page has returned uh, to make his second appearance on the podcast. Adam, how are you, man? I'm doing all right. How are you doing over there? I'm doing well. I'm doing very well. Uh, better than the poor guy who had to call the game on the broadcast tonight. He was just really struggling. Uh, started off by calling the Philadelphia Union Philadelphia United. Um, he, <laughs> he used the term defenseman to describe a defender. Uh, he described uh, Fabinho as a wingback, which actually he looked like a wingback tonight, but he was not technically playing as a wingback. Uh, he also pronounced David Akam wrong, as in David Akam, or like a comb or something like that. I'm not even sure what he was trying to say. And uh, he butchered a couple other things. Uh, so that was my first takeaway, my, my number one takeaway from the broadcast. But I'm going to throw it to you, Adam, for your takeaway from actually what we saw on the field. Well, I, I luckily listened or watched with the sound off because I, I wouldn't have been able to take that. I, I would have. I would have just imploded in my in my house. Um, I I mean the the first takeaway that I had is that the union played a really high pressing game, which wasn't exactly what they did in the, the first preseason game where they sat off Chicago a little bit after the first few minutes, and uh, they they were really good at it. I think uh, Montana in the center was excellent pressing, and uh, Bedoya triggering the press was really good. And I think uh, if they're if they're going to be able to press that well and uh, other teams aren't going to be able to pass around them and think quickly, then they're going to create a lot of turnovers in the middle third that they can capitalize on with David Akam's speed. Yeah, you know, it's interesting in the build-up to, obviously, Harris Madunian uh, dropping really deep to receive the ball. Um, you know, I felt like Austin Trusty, uh, at least in the first half, got kind of far. It wasn't afraid to kind of push into that little space on the left then, and uh, Madunian would drop deep to cover for him. Fabinho was pushed up so far at one point uh, where he was called offside. Uh, and as you noted on Twitter, I think you were talking about the spacing between uh, the fullbacks when they were getting up the field and the wingers kind of knowing how to occupy that space in the channel. Um, it just looked really good. Even though they were tilted uh, to one side very heavily one way or the other, um, they they balanced it very well. Did you see that? Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's something that we didn't see much last year is, is uh, them being able to, to work together both the winger and the fullback to figure out who's going to occupy the channel or the half space and who's going to stay out in the wing. And um, what we see from the union a lot from Jim Curtin's union is when the uh, fullback gets the ball, the, the winger would be even wider, even wider under the touchline. And so you operate with very little space there and it takes a long time to get central support. And uh, in this game, uh, a calm early on was, was pulling into the center a little bit into that channel. And then later on you saw Fabinho do it and, even saw Rosenberry do it on the other side one time, although although he sort of moved into the the channel and then got kind of static, and that that sort of spoke for his whole game on the night. He he was a little bit off, but that left side was was really dangerous. And and like you were saying, uh, with Trusty pushing up a little bit when uh, Harris dropped in, that's something that Harris was actually talking to him about during the Chicago game, and then also saw him talking during an injury break early in this one, telling him to when he had the ball to step into that space and that. That gave the Union three players, so it gives you the advantage on that side that you can take it right at Montreal, and they, they just couldn't rotate quickly enough to close down the Union. Now, you know, um, where do I want to go with it now? I, I think, you know, I, I think the biggest takeaway beyond that for me is that Montreal was just atrocious tonight. I mean, they were just horrendous. I, I 
they looked completely out of sorts. The the first penalty uh, that's where Sapong was taken down was just ridiculous defending. Oh, I mean, God. <laughs> to let the ball hit your heel while you're backtracking inside the box and then to overcommit on the follow-through and, and give up a penalty. And then Chris Duvall on the right side, an experienced guy, gets beat on the line by uh, Matty Real, uh, who slots it for who slots it back for um, cuts it back for David Akam to fire home. Um, but that's I mean that listen, listen those plays aren't made unless Philly is taking advantage of them and, and recognizing that the mistakes are made uh, and and you know countering appropriately right I mean there's a lot of times we see that stuff that goes unpunished but uh, you know you can say what you want to say about Montreal in the night but other teams would not capitalize on that you know yeah that's and that's something that the union. There were even times tonight where the Union were really good at trapping in the middle third, and especially on the you know the touch lines in the middle third, they would try and push all the play over there. And in the past, we've seen them really struggle to sort of convert from those. Um, and there were times tonight where, where it was a little worrying when they would have counterattacks, and you'd only see Sapong in the box. If Akam had dropped back to cover, um, Fontana had trouble getting up to be a part of those attacks. And that's probably the worst thing I can say about Fontana on the night, because I don't know what you thought, but I thought uh, it was it was a pretty strong performance. He was he was conservative with his passing, um, but in general, he he really was in the right places at the right times in a way that uh, that I don't think I could say Osinio was last year. Yeah, you know what? Um, I think Fontana knocked one off the not the post, but it hit the wheel on the side of the goal. I think there was another one where he in the first half where he was able to turn and face, and he just I think he kind of forced a through ball and didn't hit it the way he wanted to, but. Um, you know, it's interesting. I don't, I don't know if you saw this the same way that I did, but, you know, when you talk about splitting the center backs and dropping the number six in between them, uh, you know, I, I kind of go back to the to Greg Berhalter's uh, Columbus teams, you know, and uh, the way that Will Trapp would kind of sink deep. Tony Chani then as a number eight would then occupy his space, and that would allow Iguain to kind of find some more room to operate in there. So you go from a four two three one in in defense, obviously, to like a three-man back you know, three, five, two, whatever, three, four, three, whatever you want to call it in the, in the buildup. Um, and that kind of frees up space for those guys in the middle, because sometimes I think, um, Ollie can sometimes get a little lost in there because Harris is so ball dominant. And for a young guy like Fontana, or if it's Najem in there, um, it just, I think it's easier for them to operate when they build up that way. Yeah, I agree. And I think, I think one of the, one of the noticeable things about Fontana was how quickly he played when he won that build-up phase. He, when the ball came to him, he was not trying to turn with it. He was very, very conscious of where he was on the field and would quickly play one touch. If it was coming from Elliott, he'd go to Trusty, and that allowed the Union to move the ball quickly. And I think to your point about uh, you know having space in the middle, the Union spacing tonight was, was far better than what we often saw last year. Uh, when, yeah. when they got those fullbacks up the pitch, they, they were really able to space Montreal out and, and have time on the ball in a way that, that Montreal could not. I mean, the, the impact just struggled to, to do anything with the ball with the Union closing him down. I think um, Marcus Epps actually stood out to me as someone who, who worked really hard to close the ball down quickly, even if both him and Herbert still seem to struggle when they get to the ball in those pressing situations to actually win their tackles. Uh, was there anyone else that stood out to you um, defensively? Uh, did, it, did anybody stand out to me defensively? Yeah. Now, you know what? I, it, it's interesting to me because I feel like they – you know, I feel like all of the possession and the turnovers and stuff like that, it kind of glossed over what I thought was going to be a very weak spot on the team, not just tonight, but going forward. Um, you know, I remember there was yeah. one, one sequence in the first half where there's some unconvincing defense in the box. It was like the only time Montreal got into the box and the Union kind of struggled to get it out of there. And I'm sitting here thinking, you know, when I look at it on paper, 
you know, Keegan obviously had his struggles last year and he kind of caught, got caught in between attack and defense. Uh, Fabi, we, we know is more of an attacker, more than a defender that, than anything, right? Austin Trusty is obviously a, you know, a homegrown young kid. Uh, Jack Elliott's only a second year guy. So I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, okay, so they have this really nice build up, this really nice spacing and this really nice possession. But if they're going up against a team that has a pulse, um, you know, Toronto is ga- <laughs> Toronto is gashing them on the counter. New York City's gashing them on the counter. Like that's the thing. I mean, when you watch those Columbus teams back in the day, um, you know, they would they would make when they would make some, it would look beautiful in the buildup. But when they would make mistakes, they would look like really, really, really bad mistakes. You know, um, or they get they get killed for them. So uh, to answer your question, it's uh, like to me it was kind of like a not applicable because I don't think Montreal really did even much of anything to. To, to give me a sample size to say whether Trusty was one way or Elliot was the other way, you know? Yeah, yeah, I, I don't disagree with that, especially in the first half. It, it was incredible how much possession the Union had. I think that, that uh, play you're talking about where they they finally got forward and got a ball into the Union box was something like the 30th minute, 31st minute. And that was, that really was their first foray into the Union half with any possession at all. And, um, and on, on that one, I think another one of the 39th, um, and then the second half, aerially, Trusty's probably the, the one. The one thing that was worrying to me is that uh, when the ball was over on on the right side of the field, he had a tendency to drift really far over that way. And on that that couple of those crosses through the box, he he was on the wrong side of the field. And there was actually a two v one on that side. And if Montreal, you know, had anyone who played soccer and could pass, then uh, they would have gotten some shots. <laughs> and he also in the second half was stepping up really aggressively uh, for aerial balls. And like you're saying, if, if you're playing at Toronto and they notice that, then uh, you know they're going to stick Josie Altidore out there to try and win those balls or at least earn some fouls. And if he wins a couple of those and they have someone running over the top, then you need to earn a lot of trouble. Yeah, you know, that's going to be – I mean – you know, for all that Ali Bedoya, sometimes when Ali gets lost uh, in the buildup or, you know, he gets overshadowed by Harris, I think, you know, his ability to counterpress and kind of win in defensive transition, I mean, that's going to be critical this year, especially if they keep trying to play this style, um, you know, where they space it the way they do and they drop to those three in the back there because I, I don't, you know, Elliot in space, Trusty in space, I don't have enough of the sample size on, but Harris in space isn't going to track anybody down. I think... I mean, Bedoya is going to do a lot of his work in transition this year. Um, and, you know, defensively, I, I, I'll admit, I didn't get to see the game on Saturday because I was doing something else. And then when I went to look for the YouTube replay, they took it down for really dumb reasons, which I, I promised I wouldn't tell anybody. But it wasn't the union's fault. It, somebody else wanted to take it down for a really dumb reason. But um, I, I'm interested to see what happens when they run into a, a better team, obviously. Um what, let me ask you what what have you seen from Akam so far? Uh, not just him individually, but how he how he fits with this team and and how he's how he's different too from uh, you know Pontius or whoever out who or Elsino or who was ever on the wing uh, the last year or the year before because you know Jim asks a lot of their wingers in a two way sense and so I'm interested to see how he fits in not just going forward but but how he helps out you know tracking back as well. Yeah, that's, and that's a great. Great question, because in the Chicago game, early on especially, there were some, it seemed like communication issues maybe between Fabinho and the, and Akam where um, Fabi wasn't stepping up quickly enough. And that I think that was part of what Harris was trying to get Trusty to do, was push Fabi forward and move into that space himself. Uh, in this game, that, that didn't happen much at all. And uh, what Akam seems to do is, is have a, like a sprinkling of what Ilsenia would bring to that wing position, a sprinkling of what Fafa brought. And then um, he, he's also 
he also has a pretty good uh, ability to pick people out in the box. He he set up Trusty with a nice, you know, just a cute little ball into the center for I think the third or fourth goal. Um, and and what he what he really does is he occupies the ball. He comes, checks into the center. He can also make a run wide, and he really attracts a lot of attention. And it takes it takes a lot of attention off of uh, CJ. But in this game, for the first time, you also saw Bobby getting up at the right times. And uh, it, it causes a lot of issues because now we have two V1s on the outside that you can actually take advantage of. And I, I think one of, the, one of the things I'm curious about, and I'd like to know what you think about this, is how, how Pico's going to operate on that right side. Because in both games, he hasn't seen much of the ball. Um, and he never really did, but uh, with such a ball-dominant winger on the other side, I'm curious to see how he actually gets involved in play. Yeah, you know what? Because if they – I mean – you know, if you think of it, it's it's hard to like articulate on a podcast. But if you think of, uh, imagine if I'm just drawing a big circle, like a clockwise circle, on the union shape, right? Uh, so Madunian drops in, Trusty pushes up into the channel a little bit. F- Fabinho pushes even further up. He pushes a com inside. CJ then moves over a little bit to the right to give him space. Fafa then is kind of squeezed out, like he's the next guy, right? But by the time that counterclockwise or the clockwise circle gets there, it's pushing him in the other direction, right? So, because basically then with that look, you have two strikers sitting up there. So what what happens to to Pico and and uh, Rosenberry on the other side? I I don't know. Um, you know, I think it's interesting because I don't expect them to be like I think tonight's kind of an aberration. I don't think we're going to see a, a ton of that. Uh, only at, only at home. Maybe like only at home when they're when they're dominating the ball. I think it's going to be more of, I think more of what you're going to see this year is they're going to be pinned back on the road by better teams, uh, and then it's going to be CJ dropping in to try to hold the ball up and give them an outlet, and then I think that's going to be Pico slashing behind, you know, and Akam can do that as well too. But we also see that Akam can sort of play like a second striker, like a withdrawn kind of guy as well. Um, so I don't know. It's an interesting question. I, I, I want to see them play against a better team and I want to see them pinned back a little bit to see if they can spring that counter where, you know, now theoretically you have so much speed on both sides of the wings that they can get behind CJ when he vacates. Yeah. And I, I think that's the, the ability for those three guys to, to space out and figure out where they're going to be on the counters is going to be key. Cause you know, when, when those transitions are happening at, at high speed, especially with at least in the first two preseason games, they've, They've really been willing to drop that attacking mid uh, deep to help out with the defensive shape. Uh, more against Chicago than tonight because Montreal didn't offer much. But that, that really means that your first pass has to be uh, out wide, and so you have to have someone there to receive it, and then you have to have support, which means whoever is the third guy on the far side has to be making them both useful. Otherwise, you're going to get CJ just get cratered every single time he tries to collect the ball in the center on those on those counters. Um, so so I, I think... I think there's still a lot to see if if we think the Union can't really uh, be a possession-oriented team in MLS all year, which which I agree with. And it's also interesting because Pico doesn't really like to stay out wide when the ball's on the other side, when it's on the comp side. Yeah. And you would think maybe he would so that uh, if he dropped the ball back, Harris could find him with that switch. But I, I think what they're looking to do more is push the right back all the way up and create the, create the width when they have the ball, which... You know, it, it can be a little dangerous, but if uh, if you're willing to trust the team to, to be able to move the ball around 
and find Harrison's base, then, then that's a, a very dangerous option. I mean, I think that he can, that Fafa or like the weak side, uh, if they're going to rotate that heavily, the weak side winger can kind of just sort of stay at the corner of the 18 and sort of wait for something on the far post, you know? It's almost like in basketball how you teach a guy to uh, – you know, the, to rebound on the on the weak side, you know, because when the ball comes over that way, it's harder to box out over there, you know. So I think if Fafa is patient enough and you have a common CJ up there, he might get some balls to fall to him at the edge of the box there, whether it be a botched clearance or the goaltender just kind of slapping it out of there or whatever. I don't know if that's necessarily his game, but that might be the, the space that's opened up. Um, so let me ask you this. I mean, if it's if it's if today is day one, if, if the season starts tomorrow, who – I mean, between Fontana, Najem, uh, Ilsenia is obviously injured. I mean, I mean, who's your starting number ten right now, or do you do you go for the Czech guy if they have him? I, I think if if the Czech guy is coming in, he's if he's if he's in shape, you got to go with him. Um, Fontana, Fontana, I thought showed really well tonight, um, better than he did against Chicago. I thought uh, you know Najem had had some great touches on the ball, but neither of them have looked that comfortable in the final third, and uh, I mean, Najem especially with his his speed is, is kind of worrying to imagine how they would use him um, on counterattacks when they're when they are actually pinned back. It would it's difficult to sort of see how he's going to perform in those situations uh, consistently at a high level. And both of those guys are are just so small that it's uh, it's it's sort of it'll be curious. It'll be interesting to see how they can survive in MLS environments if the Union wanted to use them multiple games in a row. I mean, they could they could just get pummeled. So I, I think you got to go with you got to go with the, the Czech guy if he's actually going to show up and show up in shape. So let me – I want to mention him in a minute, but let me ask you this. You know, I think that the, the ultimate push and pull here is that we want – you know, everybody says, rah, rah, let's get the American kid on the field and let's get the homegrowns out there, play the kids right. But if they're not ready, they're not ready. So, I mean, this year you've got Trusty. Okay, if he's ready, throw him out there, I guess. Um, I mean, where, where – if, if – if if Derek Jones and comes off the bench or gets some starts and Austin Trusty is a starter uh, for most of the year and Fontana and Najem get some minutes off the bench, I mean, it, can we can we say it's successful from an academy perspective? I mean, like, are we at a, a tipping point here with play the kids versus sitting them on the on the bench or what's the what's the middle ground there? It, that's, that's how the union are setting it up. At least that's that's what they're they're trying to trying to make us believe right now. And uh, you know, you hope they're right, but. But a lot of the team's depth this, this season looks like it's going to come from homegrown guys, guys out of the academy, and, and just young guys that they've tried to develop. I mean, no matter who you're going to stick in the back line uh, at the center back positions, it's going to be someone that the union have either drafted or brought up to the academy. And um, when you look at any of their any of their depth in midfield, it's the same way except for Creval. Um they're, they're guys who are going to have to step up or the union won't succeed if there are any injuries in the center. And um, I, I, I don't know if they're ready, but I think that uh, if you're the union, I mean, what's, what's really the point of bringing in vets to seven on the bench at this point, you know? Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know that that helps anyone. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Czech guy, uh, Borek Doshkal. Do you know anything about him? I don't know much. I don't know much. I only know what I've seen today, and I, I'm guessing you've seen a lot of the same front down. Yeah, so, I mean, the name sounded familiar. I when I went back and I was looking at the stuff today, when I wrote up the thing for Crossing Broad, I I remember um, seeing the highlights of uh, Sparta versus Lazio a couple years ago in the Europa League, and Sparta went to Rome and they beat Lazio three nothing, and uh, 
I was like, oh, oh crap, he was on that team. He started in that game and scored the first goal in the three nothing. Because I'm sitting here thinking like, well, okay, so you know he's got some a good amount of caps as a Czech um, international, but most of his career was played in like lower um, division or not lower division, but low lower level leagues. I don't think anybody is. You know, thinks that uh, the Czech league is going to blow the doors off of anybody. I mean, Sparta Sparta's a good team. Slovan's a good team. Uh, Victoria Pleitsen is a good team. Um, but, you know, I think the thing that stands out to me is that he did have a ton of Europa League experience, like 3,000 minutes or something like that. Um, they knocked out Krasnodar. They knocked out Lazio. They lost a Villarreal. Or they advanced in a group of Schalke in it. Um, and they lost a Villarreal in the quarters that year. So, you know, I he looks like a... From what I look, from what I see of him, he looks like an older kind of like Albert Rusnak kind of guy, you know, the Real Salt Lake guy who can play wide or play in the middle. Obviously, he would play in the middle here, but I mean, I think it checks out, you know. And and if he's uh, you know, not the best defender in the world or not the best presser in the world, I mean, I guess it is what it is because uh, whenever you bring a foreign guy in here, if they've got any kind of talent or any kind of skill as a number ten, that's always sort of just comes with the territory, you know. Yeah, and I, actually, at the Chicago game, the Union did spend a lot of time sitting back, and I, I wondered if that was sort of the, the style that they would adopt for a lot of the season when they went on the road or played against a team with, you know, just a lot more sort of objective talent. Um, and and in that sort of system, then yeah, you don't you don't need a guy running around the way Fontana was tonight, uh, triggering high presses against the center backs, even going to the goalie to press. Uh, and and in that case, I think you bring in a guy who who is going to be technical enough on the ball that when he gets it, just kind of kind of like Harris, you trust that he's going to be able to do something with it that won't put you in a bad position. And and you you trust him to take a few risks, and I think that seems to be the, the guy that they're targeting. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's that's fine. It's it's going to be hard to find a Tranquilo Barnetta who works his butt off in the center and then also is able to, to step forward and provide some offense. Yeah, guys like... Sasha Kleshin and Tranquillo Barnetta, like the volume tens, they're just not like, they're not easy to find, you know? Um, what else did we, was there anything else I missed that you wanted to mention from tonight? Uh, yeah, the, the one player who really stood out to me and he came on in the second half was Marcus Epps. Uh, I thought he was, he was very strong. He had hit a run um, late in the second half where he, I think it was 72nd minute where he just roasted the left back. I mean, just just dangled his right foot and then froze the guy. He's probably still there. They're probably still trying to palm out. And took the ball up the middle with speed. Um, and then he had another play where he he got the assist for uh, Simpson's goal. And that was another another situation where he was in the center and had three men around him. Uh, read the read the play. Had good awareness. Cut the ball back to the left. Uh, and then after he played the ball away, he made a run behind the defense, and his speed was a difference. And it, it was everything for the goal. And I think uh, he really showed well. His his effort on defense was strong. But again, when when he gets to the spot, he still has he still has trouble figuring out what to do. He works really hard to close people down and makes them think quickly. But then he's he's coming at such an angle and so fast that if uh, you know somebody's a fake, they can just walk right away from him and he can't react. I'm, I'm going to. I still think he, he made a, he made a really good impression tonight. Yeah, um, I'm going to use a, a comparison from my Sixers uh, knowledge now, now that I've, I'm on the Sixers beat. Um, Marcus Epps' skill set is very much like a um, like a like what I saw from Ben Simmons at the beginning of the year. In, in the, there's a basketball term where we say getting to his spots. You know, a guy can get to his spots yeah. on, the, on the floor, you know, um, which is to say that, like, uh, 
you know, Ben Simmons can drive into the lane and get to that like four or five foot range and throw up like a one handed floater. Right. Um, so Marcus Epps, I mean, to me, that's him in a nutshell. I mean, he's got no problems blowing by a guy or like getting to the, um, getting into the channels or getting up the flanks or whatever. But then when he gets there, it's still, you see, it's still unpolished a little bit. Um, but the raw athleticism and the talent to get to where he needs to go. Um, I mean, it's certainly there, you know? Yeah, and it's, it's nice to see. I mean, you know, one of the things that, that's so incredible watching him is just that he came in with such confidence. Yeah. And, and it's nice to see It's nice to see Marcus playing with a bit more confidence. He, he was up and down last year. He had some games where he'd come in and he just looked like he was ready to go and other games where he was a little bit hesitant. And, you know, that's, that's sort of the, the life of a rookie. So it's nice to see him come out and, and feel like he knows what he should be doing on the, on the field, even if he can't quite execute it perfectly yet. So uh, I think Dave and Matt and I, or whoever we can get, we're going to do like a f- official, like kind of season um, preview next week. But as we wrap it up here, what's just, I mean, when you look at this roster now and you look at what you've seen so far and you just kind of take a step back and look at everything on paper and what everybody else in the league has done this year. I, I mean, what, what do you, th- what do you think? What's the, what's the outlook for this season? What can they be? comes down to a few simple things. It's, can the young defense hold up? And in front of the defense, can Bedoya and Madunianin provide enough cover? There were a couple times tonight where you saw them get separated, and if Montreal was able to play a pass, then you were in trouble. And and we've seen coaches last year talk about making the union do their, their recovery sprints and how they struggle with that, and it's going to be an issue again this year unless they are really disciplined defensively. And I think I think that's the story of the season is can can the midfield protect the young defense and can the young defense, uh, regardless of how well they're protected, at least put up consistent games in a row. Adam Kahn from the Philly Soccer Page. Always a pleasure, man. Uh, I love your stuff. And if you guys are not reading his stuff by now, you should be because uh, – it's it's the some of the best union stuff out there. Philly soccer page. Uh, thank you everybody for listening to last week's episode. It was just forty minutes of me talking, forty straight minutes of me talking, and like seven hundred people listened to it. So I appreciate that, and maybe we'll try something like that again in the future. But I'm glad that went over well. Uh, Adam, thanks for joining us, man. Appreciate it. No problem. Thanks so much. All right, it's always soccer in Philadelphia episode number forty. We're on our way to fifty, and uh, maybe we'll do something special then. Thanks everybody. Peace. <laughs>